Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Looking for somebody, throws it back across the middle, and Kane waltzes into the end zone for his first touchdown as a Buffalo Bill. 22 yards, Allen to Kincaid. All right, welcome back. You hear Chris Brown there on the call from Thursday night. Dalton Kincaid's first touchdown as a Buffalo Bill. Nick Geary here live from Batavia Downs at the Legends and Stars Sports Expo. We've got a bunch of stars on stage right now. Some Dallas Cowboys, Bob Lilly and Randy White on stage until noon. And then 11.30 here, Anthony Miller. Uh, and then Ray Bork at noon, a Boston Bruins legend. Let's go to the Wester Hotline because my man, Aaron Quinn of Cover One, joins me now live to talk some bills. We'll talk a little bit about that Buccaneers game, put a bow on that bad boy, and talk about this upcoming matchup. But first, Aaron, I wanted to bring up a report, not that I think this is a surprise at this point, my friend, but Jeremy Fowler of ESPN talking about the Bills corner Kyer Elam and Patriots pass rusher Josh Uche as two players that have garnered some trade interest over the last couple of days and guys to watch out for. I, don't, I guess my, my question to you, Aaron, to start this thing is, what to you has sort of gone wrong with this Kyer Elam thing, this relationship? Because it, it really looked doomed from the beginning, really from the time that Christian Penford takes his position uh, in training camp with no Tredavious White last year, a six-round pick. Um, it, it, this is, uh, you know, not to be maybe overly dramatic about it, but a pretty disastrous pick for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, it doesn't look great. Uh, this one was a tough one for me come draft. Uh, Eric Gregg and I were all there live for this draft, and we knew cornerback was going to be a position of need, right? You come off 13 seconds. Uh, you have corners like Levi Wallace and Trey White recovering yeah. from an injury. But it was la lacking athleticism. And I think everybody associated, hey, we need a more of a speed corner that we can do some more things, have more of those tools in our bag. And so you knew they were going to prioritize cornerback in this draft. I think everybody that was covering it was that's where we looked first. Uh, Kansas City gets Trent McDuffie early, and I do think, um, as much as people want to hear, and I, I don't have any information outside of just speculation, but I think it forced the Bills' hand to draft for need instead of to their board. And I, I think it's a good draft lesson that we get in trouble when you go for need a little bit instead of sticking true to your board because I know a lot of smart people. I'm not a draft expert. I have opinions on it. Um, Kyer wasn't a first-round grade for me. He wasn't a guy that I had as a first-round guy. I actually – like Cam Taylor Britt a little bit more even than Kyrie Elam, especially as a fit for this defense. But some people had him right there at the end of the first round, second round guy. And I think the Bills might have jumped a little bit to go get him in fear that there wasn't going to be 
anybody left. And thinking that that athleticism, we can get them in the building, we have good coaches, we can get them in here and do it. And then another part of this is, um, as a fan perspective, we don't get to see what happens in practice. And I know that people, you know, see some stuff in the game, but practice matters and building that trust in coaches is going to matter. And so even if a player maybe is a little less athletic and presents maybe a little less versatility, if a coach trusts them to fit and do their job within the scheme, that is probably going to win out more times than not. Um, Whether fans want to hear that or not, if they don't trust in the scheme, that's whatever. But NFL coaches, their job's on the line, too, every time they put guys out there. And so they want guys they can trust to be in position. That's sort of the problem we're having right now at linebacker with a Dorian Williams. Dorian, Williams. Dorian yeah. Williams is super athletic. I think he presents a lot of tools that we would like at that position, but the trust isn't there, and you're seeing them pull back on that. And So I think it was just a mix of those things. And then Christian Benford is a guy you can trust, and he is playing yeah. pretty well. He makes mistakes still, too, but when it comes down to it, the mistakes he's making is in not being where he's supposed to be in the scheme. You know, More times than not, he's in position to make the play that the coaches want him to. Yeah, and, and I love the point, too. And, and listen, I, I guess I wonder how difficult this is for a player that's drafted with the expectations of being a first-round pick for a franchise that's in a, in a Super Bowl window. And I, I don't know how much you believe that confidence plays a role in, in a position like corner. You know, people talk a lot about it as, like, you, you got to have maybe the quickest memory of any position in sports because, oh, yeah. you know, it, it's almost like baseball and the idea that, you know, that some of the best hitters um, to ever play will hit three out of ten balls, right? So that means it's yeah. a 70% failure rate. And I think the same thing kind of goes with cornerback in the NFL is when you're playing Devontae Adams, when you're playing Stephon Diggs and Tyree Kill, you aren't going to hold these guys to, to no catches. And, you know, even when the Bills do play, and, and you've mentioned this a few times that the Bills play Tyreek Hill maybe better than any um, you know any any team in the league the last couple of years Sean McDermott has found ways to slow down Tyreek Hill short of you know 13 seconds but um, you know I I think for me Aaron is I think confidence also plays a big role in this and I don't know that they've really done everything they could to give this kid the confidence required to go out there and play the game. And, you know, again, I think you're, you, you make a good point about we're not at practice, and I think that's difficult to really quantify is what he looks like in practice, and you don't get necessarily the eyes you want to see. But, but man, really from the beginning, having Christian Bedford start week one over him, a six-round pick the same year he was drafted, it almost seems like you're starting from negative, and, and it's just a tough position to me anyways to start that – from that perspective, from a confidence level? I do think confidence plays a huge role in playing cornerback. One, I think uh, cornerback's probably one of the most difficult positions to play in the modern NFL, right? The rules are totally lined up against them. Uh, just the position in itself. The receiver knows what they're going to do. You have to play them, and they're, they're trying to do everything they can to trick you out of it. And so receptions are going to happen, even the best corners in the world. I know people get frustrated. Uh, especially in this Bills defense, right, where you're playing a lot of zone. The uh, whole idea is to keep things in front of you and wrap up and tackle. Receptions are frustrating, but they don't matter as much. You're expecting that the team isn't going to be able to put together 12 play drives, right, and continue to do that. So being able to bounce back, like you said, I mean, that's probably one of Trey White's greatest strengths is he's gotten beat. You know, he's had receivers blow the top off of defense, but coming back and be able to do that. But I think you're right, Sean McDermott, uh, one of my frustrations last year is the season was uh, wrapping up and they were heading into the playoffs. I actually saw some pretty good play out of Kyrie yeah, Elam right. and thought that we needed to, you know, put him in spots to let him fail to earn, get that confidence for him. Uh, so that definitely plays a part in it. Um, but I don't think – I think Bills fans have a – 
bit of a misunderstanding of the Bills don't play rookies and they won't do that. Kyrie Elam is more of an outlier in this situation, I think. This team is littered with young players that they have let go out there and play and have let make mistakes. And one other point to this Elam thing is, obviously he was a man corner and a little bit grabby at times. And I do think you can transition a person like that into being a corner that fits this type of defense. But Trey White talked about it a lot in his transition, and I think even Levi Wallace spoke on it about Trey White, of how much work he put in to becoming an off-coverage zone corner and how much harder that is to play that sort of off-coverage and bait quarterbacks and play more space. It takes some time, it takes some effort, and it really um, isn't as easy of a transition as people uh, often think it is. Aaron Quinn here of Cover One on the Western Hotline talking Kyrie Elam. We, we, we don't have to beat this dead horse anymore, Aaron. I, I think everyone's pretty disappointed. I'm sure the organization is probably more disappointed than the sure. fans are that they couldn't you know, sort of make this work. And we'll, we'll obviously see over the next couple of days and week ahead as the trade deadline looms what happens with Kyrie Elam. But you, you, you mentioned a point about Dorian Williams, and, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about what the evolution of this defense looks like now with, I think, the most three safety looks we've seen in, in the Sean mm-hmm. McDermott era. And when you go out and sign a Taylor Rapp, I think there was this expectation that you would see some more three safety looks. I, I was always kind of on the on the let's pause on that because this is a defense with Sean McDermott where it's not sexy. It's his scheme, and he relies heavily on his scheme. And, and I never thought three safeties was really um, – and even going into that Dolphins game, people talking about you know what they might throw, what different looks they might throw at Tua in that, in that Dolphins offense – I never thought they were going to throw a curveball. I thought that they were just going to play and do what they do best um, and try to execute better than the Dolphins did, and they did in that game. But obviously the injury to Matt Milano changes things a little bit, and I loved what I saw on Thursday night on the adaptation of, listen, you know, you mentioned Dorian Williams struggling a little bit, finding himself out of position. I think Tyrell Dotson's played better than he looked in preseason. He looks more at home. Mm -hmm. But moving into the third down, and instead of having Taylor Rapp play that sort of dime role, they've got right now Jordan Poyer, and through, I think, that first game of really seeing it a little bit last week, but a lot this week, I think great returns. This could be a really unique wrinkle for this defense, Aaron. Yeah, I was with you when all that talk, obviously, Greg Thompson and I do a show together, and he's uh, really likes the idea of that thick dime, and I pushed back on him quite a bit throughout the offseason in that. I didn't expect Sean McDermott to come too much out of nickel, right? People have been trying to pry him out of nickel for years. They believe in it. I thought the changes on this defense were just going to be the more aggression, which we've seen, and dialing up some blitzes and bringing more pressures. This hand was forced on him. I almost thought it was a win when we saw how good Terrell Bernard was playing uh, with Matt Milano in that now you don't even need that dime look, right? You have these two freak athletic linebackers that can do so many things. But to your point, Matt Milano goes down, and I think this was more of a um, break in an emergency because – they don't trust Dorian Williams. He's made some over-aggressive pursuits, and so they're not trusting him in, in this spot to put him out there. And your point's right. Tyrell Dodson's probably playing a little bit better than everybody wants to admit, but he is still a more of a downhill, run-stopping guy. He's going to lack athleticism and coverage. So on some of those known passing downs, it does make sense. Uh, I do think it's a little bit of a surprise to me that it's Jordan Poyer in the box yep. and not Taylor Rapp. Uh, so that's an interesting wrinkle as well. It worked really well this last week. I think there's going to be spots in game-specific stuff that they do and bring it in, and I think they're going to have to with need, assuming there's no major moves at linebacker here with the trade deadline coming up. Uh, I do also worry that this is going to be something that continues to be something that good teams that can run the ball and pound the ball can really expose. 
this Bills defense, right? No Daquan Jones in the middle. That makes it tough. No Matt Milano. I love Jordan Porter, and I think he can do a lot of things, but I do get concerned. We saw it rear its head in that Patriots game of that team being able to just blow them off the ball and run right up the middle. That keeps your offense off the field. That extends long drives. That was part of the problem in this argument we're having of how does the Bills' metrics look so good, but their offense isn't scoring. Well, if the other offense is allowed to limit the drives that the Bills' offense is getting, makes the margin for error on the offensive side ball so slim. And so I don't know when it's going to rear its head. I think Cincinnati might be one of those games that Kansas City can probably do that. some of that stuff. Baltimore, if we have to you know, play them in the playoffs, that's one that would concern me. So I think the dime look is coming more. I think it will be situationally used, definitely team-specific stuff. But they still have to find an answer for those downs where you can't use it, and you need to stop the run. Uh, and that's probably my biggest concern right now with this team is that kind of hole up the middle. Aaron Quinn here of Cover One on the Western Highland. Let's um, transition over to the offensive side, Aaron. And I, I think a, a maybe short of a full get-right game um, Thursday night, the, the offense looked way more at ease, way more comfortable, less pressing. Um, obviously, it only led to 24 points, but it, it, there, there is something to be said about a feel of a game. And I think if you watch that game back, there's a feel, at least this is how I feel anyways, that that, that was a game that it feels like the Bills probably should have scored 35 40 points and and maybe that's just kind of the next phase of this offense is you know maybe taking advantage of some more opportunities maybe being a little bit more aggressive if you're Sean McDermott um, going for one of those or two of those fourth down plays where you've got fourth and short and plus territory but but short of that Aaron it, it did feel more like the offense that we saw earlier this season than the offense we saw over the last three weeks yeah for sure I think a couple of things really played into that this week one it was a shorter week so less was put on the game plan. We've heard for a couple of weeks of Gabe Davis had talked about, a couple of people talked about maybe simplifying things and not giving so many options. And we heard Josh talking about trying not to think as much. I think being on a short week forced that hand mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, I know personnel has been a big talking point. I think they've been good out of either personnel tempo to me was yeah. maybe the bigger why. And you've played quarterback before. Being able to get up to the line of scrimmage, and really take a look and see things and have time to make those adjustments. The past couple of weeks, that clock was running down as they were getting to the line of scrimmage, and you don't have that time to make adjustments yeah. and to see things. And even for Ken Dorsey in Josh Allen's ear, you know, Sean McVay has made a living of that for years yep, of being right. able to get, get things set up and say, hey, this is what I see from up here, you know, attack it this way. And Dan Orlowski uh, and Eric Turner were both really pumping um, what was wrong with this offense was, not having the correct answers when blitzes happen. And we saw that totally change this week. And so I think that's where the feel that you're talking about came from of, hey, it felt easier because the answers were there, right? So when they blitz, he's hitting the hot routes. We saw Shakir take a hot route for like 30 yards with run after catch because they had the correct answers in sliding protections. That's going to make everything look easier. Uh, The one thing I've been pushing back this week is, I agree with you that I, I would have liked to see Sean McDermott put the ball in Josh Allen's hands on that. I think it was the second-to-last drive of the game where yep. they got to a fourth and two. Um, that's the one that is probably the most contentious one for me where I have that argument. But the Bills' offense stayed aggressive throughout this game. I they think did. there was this yep. idea that they didn't. Um, they took their foot off the gas. They were still pushing the ball downfield. They were still in spread. They were still in shotgun. And they were still, when able to, stay in an up-tempo offense. When you start to have incompletions, the up-tempo offense doesn't work because then you have to stop and everybody it slows down the game. So up-tempo is great when you're completing and everything's easy. 
But Tampa made some plays on some of those drives. They stalled out some things, and the Bills just didn't make some plays on some of those. So I think they remained aggressive, and I agree with you. I think the way the offense was planned, you could have put up 30-plus in that game. But the other team does get paid, too, and and they made some adjustments. They made some stops, and the Bills didn't execute in some spots. But I think they – the mindset for that offense wasn't we've got enough points, let's just ride this out. And almost to a – like, I honestly, I hate to say it, I would have liked to see maybe a little bit more running the clock in some of those situations and going with your run game and trying to just bleed that out. Because sometimes being over-aggressive in some of those spots, actually you give that team multiple opportunities to come back and score if you're not executing at a high level. Yeah, and, and I, I think, too, about tempo, Aaron, is I think it allows this offense to dictate a little bit more, too, because there's less personnel shiftings, right? Like, listen, I, I think one of the things I really liked about the Dolphins game plan was their rotation of personnel usage. They were really doing a lot in disguising and creating matchups. But I think when you go to tempo and you're not moving guys on and off the field, you're able to dictate matchups. And if you like a matchup and you don't make a change of personnel, the other team can't either. So to your yeah. point, it doesn't necess- just because you go into tempo doesn't necessarily mean you constantly have to throw the football. You can slow things down in those tempo looks, get up to the line, you know, bark out a, a, a call, and then see a shift in the defense and then move your offense into the best possible play. And that, and that best possible yeah. play, Aaron, might be a, a run play to, to, to James Cook and, 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 or a screen pass, which we've seen a little bit more. But I know the guy that uh, I'm going to let you have an opportunity to talk about here is Khalil Shakir because I know this is a guy you've sort of been pining for really since the offseason is a guy that's sort of ready to take that step in this offense. And, and I'll be the first to tell you, I, I just didn't really see it with some of the opportunities he was given, a couple of tough drops in week one um, it kind of felt like maybe this was an offense moving more towards Deontay Hardy as that number three wide receiver um, or even Trent Shurfield in a couple of situations but I I think it's very obvious now especially after this Thursday night that Khalil Shakir is this team's number three wide receiver and moving forward I I would almost expect this role to expand a little bit yeah I've been uh, pounding the table for Khalil and it really uh, to your point about being able to remain in up tempo and still dictate a lot of um, guff goes towards Gabe Davis for not having huge stat lines week in and week out as a number two wide receiver. But the type of flexibility these wide receivers have in terms of being able to block, a lot of the stuff they were doing with Gabe Davis was still it, it is 11 personnel, but they were using Davis and uh, Kincaid in the same sort of way as you would use two tight ends and 12 personnel because Gabe Davis gives you that ability to come uh, in and rotate in on uh, motions and be a blocker and be that type of player. And Khalil Shakir gives you that too. The reason I was so high on his usage, again, going back to the Kyrie Young conversation, was when you watch the All-22, when you watch the tape, this guy's blocking his butt off. And the willingness to get in there and block, like it's not sexy. People don't love to talk about wide receivers blocking, but it gives you that flexibility to remain up-tempo and stay in and do some different things. And Sean McDermott prefaced that at one of the press conferences after, I think it was after the Giants game, of needing to see guys be willing to take on some of those roles. And so seeing Khalil do that, and then I also saw him making himself available, which is something we heard Josh talk about with Kincaid and learning that body language between a quarterback and a wide receiver. And that was probably the thing that Cole Beasley did best, right? He was shifty, he got open, he created separation, but he constantly made himself available and put his numbers where Josh could see him. And Khalil had been doing that. The targets weren't coming his way, and that comes with trust. That comes in practice. But this week you saw it come that way, and he was the answer in a lot of these hot route situations. And I think that's probably the biggest thing the Bills have been missing 
it's not they've been missing Brian Dable as much. They've been missing that role in the middle of the field and trying to find it. And they threw a bunch of stuff at it. Surefield, Deontay Hardy, hoping that yep. Leo Shakir would pan out. Even last year, getting Jamison Crowder, hoping Isaiah McKenzie would be that guy. They've been trying to find those answers. Even Dalton Kincaid was brought in to be some of that. You're starting to see it come, come around here with both Kincaid and Shakir being those answers in the middle of the field. That opens up everything. And to your point of how it feels when we're looking, that's what makes this offense feel easy is if Josh has those security blanket answers and he can go to them, then you don't need him to be running around making those plays. Those are all extra gravy plays. It's the easy matriculating the ball and getting some yards after catch in the middle. That makes all the difference for this offense. All right, last thing for you, Aaron. Um, I guess short of asking you what your trade deadline wish list is, it, it feels anyways, if, if you're sitting Kyrie Elam for Josh Norman, it feels like part of the reason you're doing that is you want to make sure that no injury potentially happens to Kyrie Elam. I also think Josh Norman mm-hmm. plays special teams, and I don't think Kyrie does. I think that's part yeah. of that decision, but I think keeping him healthy um, so that you can move him at the deadline is probably is, is probably easy ABC to get to that. Um, if you know, part of this trade deadline is you're moving Kyrie Elam. Are, are you looking at a, a draft pick swap, or, or would you like the Bills to maybe turn around and flip him for, for somebody that can help this team right now? I do think a Kyrie Elam trade is probably for more ammunition and draft picks, but I think it, it might be two separate moves where you move him out and try to go get a Dante Jackson type of guy or somebody that's out there. I really don't think the Bills are in the market of the bigger names that are floated out there, the Jalen Johnsons, the Patrick Sertains. Those guys want big contracts. And I know I really don't – I'm not the cap guru. You'd have to ask uh, Greg Thompson. He, his show on our network, Cover One Network, the Greg Thompson show, did a um, trade deadline extravaganza where he broke down all the cap ramifications of what the Bills can and can't do. Uh, I, I, it would be great if they could get Patrick Sertain. He's one of the best corners in the league, if not the best. I just don't see those types of things. So you've got to look maybe at the aging bets, the Adoree Jacksons of the world, the Dante uh, Jacksons of the world, where maybe they've underperformed at their current team. But we've seen John Butler and Sean McDermott be able to get more out of less at this position, again, if people can play within the scheme. So I do think they're calling about that. Linebacker is probably another one that they're trying to address. I know the dime thing's fun, and they are doing that, but I think they want a little bit more at the linebacker position so they don't have to revert to this dime look and be so light in the box. So I think those are probably the two positions that they're that Brandon Bean's calling around the league the most. And I think this week probably put a little bit of pumping the brakes on the idea of uh, DeAndre Hopkins or one of these wide receivers. Mm-hmm. I think the versatility of Shakir and what Gabe Davis can do when he's schemed open I think the Bills trust in that a little bit more than fans do, and, and so I don't think they're going to be as active in that market. All right, Aaron, appreciate you, buddy. Uh, if for whatever reason the people here listening don't know where to find you, where can they find you and all the boys at, uh, at Cover One? Where can they find your work? Yeah, man, I'm on Twitter at Aaron Quinn 716 arguing with you. People think we hate each other, um, I know, but I'm awesome. still trying to get one more round of golf with you here before <laughs> it starts snowing. Um, and then, yeah, anywhere you search on social media, cover one, follow us on our YouTube channel, wherever you get your podcasts. Our guys are working hard every single week to bring out a bunch of content for you guys. So, uh, yeah, give us a follow, give us a like, all that good stuff. All right, buddy, appreciate you. Enjoy your weekend, and uh, we'll talk again soon, buddy. Hopefully get it around. All right, thanks again, Nate. All right, Aaron Quinn there of Cover One. I'm Nate Geary. I'm live from Batavia Downs at the Legends and Stars Sports Expo. Uh, I'll be here until 2 o'clock this afternoon, so stop by, say hi, and come get some signatures from some of your favorite athletes. We're going to take a timeout on the other side. Uh, we'll get to the 12 o'clock hour. Matt Perino joins us at 1230. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. 
listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's gonna go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.